You're checking out the Nifty Q Show. All right, good morning, good evening, good night. Welcome into the Nifty Q Show. I'm interviewing founders, leaders, and awesome builders in the NFT industry. Today, I'm sitting with CAPS, product lead of NFTX, co-founder of FloorDAO, a liquidity and lending borrowing protocol for NFTs. We'll be discussing DeFi's role in the industry, how you can earn daily yield on your assets, what the recent APE token launch means for the space, and much more. I, you're also outshining me a bit, CAPS, uh, on your, your PFP here, man. So I want to give you a big shout out there for your, your Hearst and, and Cool Cats combo, man. How you doing today? Thanks, man. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I've had this cool cat for a long time. Uh, not quite at mint, but just shortly after. And uh, yeah, ne- never selling, never selling. I love it, man. We're going to have a cool convo. You sound like uh, you're very uh, deep into the DeFi integrations. Obviously, NFTX is a really cool protocol and and you guys are doing some things on the fringes uh, of the space. There was a little piece there where you, you guys at home saw me mess up uh, about what Caps is doing. It was like a kind of a cross communication here on what we were talking about today, even. And I'm excited to talk about Florida as well as NFTX. So we've got a lot of things to get to. Uh, the one first thing I wanted to start off with, though, is there was a story last week about some gigabrain dude swapping apes from your guys's pool and then claiming the ape tokens and then putting the apes back into the pool. Don't go too far and in deep into that kind of uh, tech and what actually happened behind the scenes, but what actually went down with that flash loan? Yeah, so um, I've been like heads down, like building for a while, so I haven't like investigated that transaction like fully. I know a lot of people have, but the the kind of the idea is essentially with the vaults and FTX, you can instantly swap out a floor item for a floor item in the vault without any counterparty. So you could just like straight like insta swap just like you would on Sushi or Uniswap um, and pull out any of the items in the vault. So essentially what happened was someone cycled through everything that was in the ape vault, swapping it out, minting the ape, and then swapping out that one for another one that, that had unminted ape. Um, and we saw something similar happen with Cool Cats, uh, with Cool Pets. Uh, there was probably maybe like four or five people that were all trying to get in on that trade. Um, and we had, I think, like 20 cool cats in the vault at the time. So that was about 20 pets that got minted in a very short period. Um, and there's some cool like repercussions in that, which we can go on to. Yeah, you know, we're, st- we're starting the episode with like a dangerous kind of situation for some some people that like put into the NFTX protocol, which I think for the uh, the more experienced people, like we understand that it's it's not necessarily dangerous. You just have to know what you're doing. Uh, you mentioned the cool cats piece there and that there were people that were all trying to do this at once. And then you also said that that one of those people was you. Yeah, there was a bunch like, I mean, you have an edge when you're building the product to know how these things work. And um, I'm not like at the level of writing contracts to automate this um, and, you know, to, to win gas wars against like MEV bots. I mean, when you look at what happened with Bored Apes, like that was like a million dollar opportunity. So, you know, whoever did that was like automating the hell out of it and making sure that they could they could front run all the competition. Whereas I think with cool with cool cats, it was very much like a fight over like a manual process. So we'll get deep into the processes of NFTX and what that all means. We kind of hit somebody who has no idea what y'all are doing with like one of the craziest things that's happened on the platform here uh, in just a second. But I guess like staying on this kind of conversation. So someone basically within one transaction was able to pull these apes out and then claim and then put them back in you kind of have to school me on the on the tech there yeah so um there's a swap fee on the nftx vault so let's say you have like a floor ape um if you have a floor ape nft 
you can pay like I think it's 6%, 6% of an ape to swap for another ape. So let's just say apes are 100 ETH. Like you'd pay 6 ETH to put your floor ape in, which presumably you've already minted the ape. And then you'd pull out one from the vault that has unminted ape. You'd mint that and then drop it back in and pull out another one and just keep swapping and paying, paying 6 ETH every time. Um, and obviously if the value of the mint of the ape is more than 6 ETH, then, then you're good and you're making profit. Um, but we can talk about where that 6 ETH goes as well, because I think that's like, that's the main, that's like the big driver for why people add liquidity and make and like enable this kind of activity is that they get paid those fees. Uh, we've got some comments here. Uh, Absolute Salt saying there was no penalty for that question mark. So definitely we'll get into like the processes, but do you want to quickly touch on whether there was like a penalty for that, that person doing that? Um, no penalties. No, like that's all, that's all profit. They would have, they would have paid the 60th, but if they were making more on the eight mints, then yeah, they'll just be profit. The, the kind of, the kind of, the loss is like, it's not really a loss, but the loss comes from the liquidity providers of the ape token. So the people that had been providing liquidity for ape, and I think we probably need to go into NFTX like mechanics to understand this part a bit more, but they, they basically could have minted the ape themselves, but instead they were getting paid six ETH a pop. And like, but the, the difference being they didn't have to do anything. Like they were just passive. And yeah, there's like, there's a couple other benefits as well. Yeah, well, let, let's get deeper into what NFTX does here in, in just a second. But t- for anybody at home, TLDR, someone just pulled out a bunch of apes, claimed all the ape tokens from last week, made a shit ton of money, uh, and uh, yeah, walked away uh, a lot richer. But uh, from that cool cat situation, uh, did you end up profiting at all caps? Yeah, I think that was like a total, like I did, so I wasn't necessarily like able to do as much as you you could because it was being fought over but i think uh yeah it's 20 cool pets uh what were they selling for like three that um ago at the top um so that's like 10k each uh yeah so that's like a 200k opportunity so a lot less than than the ape one but yeah there's uh there's lots of like alpha with this DeFi NFT crossover for sure. Yeah, love it. And we'll get into some of that alpha. So shout out to everybody that is showing up early. We just pressed live. This is the Nifty Q show. We're covering the NFT space. I'm sitting here with Caps, both from FloorDAO and NFTX. So we're going to get a lot of good information. So Caps, usually the way this episode starts is we talk about your background and then we set that foundation. So let's hop back into that timeline and let's talk about who you are and, and kind of how you found yourself in the DeFi and NFT space? Uh, yeah, so I don't know how far back you want me to go, but uh, I guess I, I discovered Bitcoin um, a long, long time ago, back in 2011, uh, when I was playing online poker professionally during like university time. And uh, there was Black Friday. Any online poker players will know about Black Friday. Basically, online poker was banned in the US. Um, and that was that was like a time where Bitcoin suddenly, like I'd heard of it, but then suddenly it became obvious that there was going to be like a different uh, way of playing online poker using Bitcoin. Um, that was back when it was sort of like $20, $30. And it was almost just play money back then. Um, and I just kind of had my eye on it, um, built a couple of Web2 businesses in crypto. Um, and then sort of 2016, after being like a bit of a Bitcoin maxi, discovered Ethereum and was just kind of heavy building again, like web two stuff in Ethereum. And then it wasn't until 2020 with DeFi summer that everything kind of clicked in terms of like the, the massive, like much bigger growth than we had in like 2017 kind of clicked for me. Um, and yeah, 2020 was, was like DeFi year. And then I discovered NFTX at the start of 2021. 
we skipped a couple pieces there. I don't know if people at home actually are pissed off whenever I want to like hear about that 2016, 17 time. Cause I was like very much a part of it, but I feel like it gives people good context on like how the space has grown. So in 2016, you were saying you, you built some web or I guess crypto companies. Uh, can you kind of relay any, uh, any context there? And then tell me about your time in the space in that like Bitcoin to 20 K era of like ICO times. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like web two, side like it was really just like around affiliate marketing which you might be familiar with um so yeah just building like a network um in that area uh which i kind of moved on to web3 like a few years later um and yeah like that that was around 2016 2017 and so i i would kind of witness the whole like massive explosive growth all the ico craziness um didn't participate in much of the ico stuff because it was again was just kind of building um being heads down just eth maxi ether's money kind of um vibes and uh yeah it got like mega wrecked in in the in the bubble um as everyone else did but you know that's what makes you build like extremely strong conviction so i owe i owe like a lot of my conviction i have with eth um to like the 2013 bubble with bitcoin and then like the 20 2017 bubble with eth um you know these things always seem to if they've got fundamental value anyway come back a lot stronger you, you mentioned you were a bitcoin maxi and then you're an ethereum maxi are you a DeFi maxi or an nft maxi now like do you do you classify yourself as like going heads down into whatever sector uh you're actually building in I, I'm like ETH Maxi at heart and um and DeFi like for me, uh I probably see I probably like align more with DeFi. Um and I think like my big interest in NFTs is is largely around like their application in DeFi. Um despite like yeah, I'm like a, a huge NFT fan generally, but like yeah, I think when you cross it over into DeFi, like the opportunities just become a lot larger. It's hard to talk to Bitcoin maxis these days. Uh, it still was back then. What is the bridge you think uh, between maybe Bitcoin and even DeFi? Because I feel like there is that connection. Like Bitcoin was, you could claim one of the first decentralized finance, you know, protocols and all of these different things. So, is there a, something that we could say to, to Bitcoin maxis, or something that you say to Bitcoin maxis, trying to explain that DeFi isn't like all a Ponzi? Yeah, I tend not to speak with maxis like Bitcoin maxis too much to so like know how to answer that probably like I, I have a lot of time for bitcoin still do um but uh yeah i think what we're seeing is just such a massive extension of what bitcoin was capable of doing um you know like even just the borrowing and lending platforms like pe people from bitcoin tend to yeah talk about ponzi's and like zero-sum games and stuff but just being able to like take a loan out against some collateral whether it's like eth or even like a real world asset that's tokenized. If you can borrow against that, that's just like a huge utility just in itself. Um, you know, like uh, 2020, I was borrowing against ETH using liquidity and like not having any interest to pay, just like a one-off fee. And then I was able to like um, buy stuff in the real world while not having to sell my ETH, um, which, you know, at the time was like $300. So, so by borrowing against it, you can, you can have that upside without having to sell. Um, and still have like the fiat money that you might want to use. So that's like one obvious utility, yeah. How do you look at risk in the DeFi space? Like I know there's an obvious risk to doing what you were doing and having ETH maybe fall in value as opposed to like continue in value and you're able to look, like kind of claim your ETH back. Uh, how do you look at risk when it comes to decentralized finance? I, I tend to just zoom out really, really far. Um, so I'm kind of like a lot of a lot of my mates just take the piss because uh, I have like a 10 year time horizon with all this stuff. Um, and I think the risk essentially goes away 
with something like ETH if you look at it from a 10-year perspective. Like we've got like some major like systemic, potential systemic risks with like the merge and stuff. But if things like, assuming no black swan, like yeah, in 10 years time, is ETH going to be worth more than it is today? Like uh, almost certainly. Most of the people I have on the show are like very NFT focused and NFT native. And I'm not saying that you're not NFT native. I'm just saying it sounds like you're more into the DeFi space, which is awesome. Uh, so when DeFi summer kind of took off, tell me about your experience there and kind of lay some context on why DeFi and having that kind of pop up on our timeline in the world was important at the time. DeFi, like for me anyway, DeFi kicked off with Compound. I don't know if you remember Compound with their yield farming. Like that was like a sudden, like it became obvious there was going to be like liquidity wars. There were going to be people like fighting over like, at, like what was pool two stuff. So like, all the, uh, they were kind of zero sum, they were kind of circular, but there was like a, a real like demand to try and fight over that. So yeah, I mean, I was messing around with Compound and Wi-Fi and Yam and all those kind of protocols that came out um, and synthetics and everything, obviously. So like, yeah, had a lot of experience with that, you know, aping into stuff at contract level and all that kind of good uh, nonsense that was going on back then. And then when DeFi summer ended, I kind of have had my head down buildings throughout the whole of 2021 um, and then into 2022 as well. So uh, I, at the same time, also like big on NFTs, and like getting involved in drops, um, huge fan of a lot of the art block stuff. Um, you know, I, I love like what Gen Art is doing as well, all, like tons of PFP projects, but I've just, I've, I've taken my foot off the gas a lot with them as I'm sure many people have now that we're going into a bit more of a sideways market, um, focusing back on building. Yeah, was that your experience at the end of DeFi summer? Because again, most of the people watching this are going to be like NFT focused. So they're kind of experiencing maybe a little bit of a downtrend when it comes to like the hype cycle that we saw maybe last summer uh, and fall. Is that kind of the same cycle that you saw happen in DeFi? Are they experiencing the same thing or was it like way more massive uh, for someone that is new to the space? Yeah, I don't know if I'm like necessarily hugely qualified to talk on that. But yeah, I think from what I've seen, it seems like both DeFi and NFTs had the same cycle, like a very similar cycle anyway, where they had like multi, like a, a few months of like pure up only and, um, you know, you can't make a bad trade into like you can't make a good trade and it just becomes the whole market's just squeezed out um, and everyone's just got to take a break for a bit until it comes back again. Yeah, everyone here in the chat and uh, listening in at home afterwards has had their fair share of of bad trades, whether it be NFTs, whether it be DeFi or ICO tokens. So at the end of that cycle, or maybe even in the, the main DeFi summer area, what were some of those projects that you were like, damn, I wish I didn't get into that one? You know, I got lucky. I, I didn't actually get rugged or like I didn't, the, the closest I got came to getting rugged was in Eminence, um, but actually like didn't end up getting rugged. Uh, but that there's like, yeah, probably, I don't know what would be like the worst one. I mean, I kind of got out of sushi early. So you're that good a trader? No, no, no. I'm like long-term trader. So I don't, I don't tend to make like uh regular, I'm like a low frequency. Don't make too many trades, just like buy and hold. Um, you know, I, I kind of got into uni and um, got out of sushi. Just kind of longing on the innovators rather than like, um, necessarily like forks um so yeah i don't know like obviously never sold the top held through a lot of that so like uni held it up to 40 dollars and that went down to like seven that kind of thing so 
it depends on whether you're looking at it as a long time frame. Like in five years, I think uni will be higher than $40. So I'm happy. You mentioned eminence there. I think that was Andre's project. Uh, what's your take on, on Andre? I always get his last name right. Cronje and him leaving Cronje and him. Like this guy was like DeFi. for those of you at home. These, this guy was like DeFi Jesus, Jesus. He created Wi-Fi. He's like one of the main guys responsible for DeFi summer. And he's just like, a really volatile individual and now i guess he just left the space like a month ago so do you have any takes on andre i was following andre a lot um in 2020 and then again like something else i peeled off from in 2021 but yeah i mean he i, I remember when at wi-fi first launched there was just tons of money aped in and there was i think it was like a two or three multi-sig or may, no maybe it wasn't i think it was even just like andre had the full control um and it was like 300 million dollars or, or, or more um and like for i can't remember how long but there was no time lock or anything he just had he just had like direct access to this and credit to him like he just he he like people were dming him is like yeah don't worry about it like i'm gonna switch this to a time lock and multi-sig and whatever um and yeah he did uh so i think you know he has a very honest like he just wanted to build cool things um but yeah i don't know what's kind of changed over the last year to make him want to leave yeah, it's all going to be mad. Yeah, this is this is cool because we can talk about kind of the the DeFi integration into NFTs. I think you'll have a really good take on this. But I want to stay on DeFi for a second longer. I mean, Andre like specifically has talked about the user base in DeFi and that being one of the main reasons uh, why he's leaving the space or why he was pissed at the time. They're just he mentioned them being toxic, like all this stuff. Do you see that in the DeFi space of like the users in that sector just I don't know, like not being favorable for growth? I don't know. Like the mercenary aspect of jumping from protocol to protocol is does DeFi have that longevity long term uh, when you have maybe people searching just for yield? I think long term it does, but yeah, day to day you're gonna get like tons of mercenary activity. Um you know, like you can have like one down day in a, pro- in a token price and people are complaining, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, uh, I think it's probably is draining if you have that constantly for so long. Um, but yeah, I guess you could just like, like mute, I guess, and just carry on. Um, you know, if you're confident in the product, you're con- confident in the fundamentals, then you shouldn't have any problem just continuing down that path. Um, and just kind of ignoring the noise. Last question specifically on DeFi, I hope, uh, or maybe not. We'll see. Uh, fair launch. Uh, I know Andre was like pioneering that uh, type uh, kind of launch with, with Wi-Fi. What do you make of, of fair launches now uh, in the space and maybe how it relates to NFTs and how people like to distribute? Yeah, so Wi-Fi had that like, I think they call it like immaculate conception where it was just, I, I think it was just like people staked their tokens and like liquidity and it was just, they uh, their Wi-Fi tokens through that. And it was really like just open to anyone. Um, I think Fair Launch makes tons of sense. I mean, lots of people are working on it. Um, I forget the name of the protocol now, but I know Will Price is working on something that, that is like a, an interesting novel way of distributing tokens at the start. Um, and then like obviously copper launches, reverse duction auctions, like with um, uh, balancer liquidity bootstrapping pools and that kind of thing. These are like, I mean, Flawed Al went through one of those, um, and I think it is a great way of like avoiding being botted and avoiding having your like token supply sniped if you don't price it correctly. So yeah, um, it makes tons of sense. I, I guess like the the distribution kind of happens after launch anyway. Um, 
and the the launch the fairness really comes in like how much do investors and insiders how much they have of the supply i guess we're tying this into nfts and i think we're making our way to to florida and nftx how do you look at distribution within the NFT space right now? Like I know, you know, Hashmas was, I think on a, a, am I getting this wrong? Bell curve, uh, kind of like a FOMO ramp, all these different types of distributions. How do you look at uh, distribution in the NFT space and the way these founders are launching their product? Um, so yeah, Hashmas did that uh, bonding curves, which are like, yeah, just these tranches, um, which get yeah, dry FOMO, which worked a few times and I think kind of fizzled out. We, we like, at NFTX anyway, you know, we don't deal with any kind of like launches, um, we, we, something we will do in the future. But what's cool about NFTX is um, the, these, the NFTs that are in, in NFTX were fractionalized. So you have ERC20s, like just any kind of like standard token like DAI or WETH um, that you mint from these, from these NFTs. So like the CryptoPunks pool. Or the CryptoPunks vault on NFTX has a punk token and that's like a fractional token so you can have like 0.0001 of a CryptoPunk you know you suddenly get like more interesting ways of distributing when you can fractionalize like that and yeah it's something that we're, we're looking at and how maybe you can do certain like launches as an NFTX vault and then that way you can kickstart with like floor liquidity as well, which is another concept. I probably just need to go back to basics and explain NFTX. Um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're almost. I mean, we're right there, Caps. But the main question I have, and probably the most important question uh, of the the interview and the episode, is going to be how you see DeFi working its way into NFTs and why it's important. Because there's a ton of people in the NFT space now that are going to get more familiar with it with DeFi over the years. Maybe they won't even know it's DeFi. They'll just start to understand that, oh, maybe I can lend my NFT, but kind of lay that foundation for breaking down NFTX by bridging the DeFi space with the NFT space. Like, Why is it so important that NFT enthusiasts pay attention to DeFi's move? Yeah. So I guess the reason NFT, NFT collectors should care about DeFi is like they can suddenly create, turn their assets into like yield generating ones. Um, they could just do more with their asset. Uh, so, for example, you could you could lend your asset to someone and get paid an interest rate, or you could borrow dollars against your asset and and use those dollars in some way without having to sell your asset. Um, and you can earn yield just through like something like NFTX, where you're provi- providing liquidity and letting other people trade with your asset. Um, like so, there's like the the obvious like revenue generating side. Um, I think like when you get to like in-game items and stuff. So like I've had a long time playing Steam, uh, like throughout like my teen years, and having having like the ownership of your assets is so much more important than like having an asset that's uh, like on some centralized database just because you can then integrate it with things like DeFi and actually you can start doing stuff with them um so yeah uh i think those kind of yield generating and utility like expansion of utility is is like one of the key reasons why you'd want to use DeFi with your nfts okay let's talk about founding nftx uh so you you mentioned kind of being a part of DeFi summer, getting involved in NFTs. So kind of want to also add on to this question of like what NFTs you initially got uh, kind of involved with, but also kind of laying the, that origin story bare for everyone to kind of, kind of listen to. Yeah. So I joined NFTX like a month after it launched. So 
the reason I joined was I, I minted Hashmas, and um, at the time it was like, yeah, th these are great, but I kind of wanted to do something with them just like out of curiosity. And I discovered NFTX, and basically I was I put my Hashmas into NFTX, fractionalized them into a Mars token, and then I provided liquidity to Sushi with the Mask ETH pair. And then I uh, was earning like trading fees of people that wanted to trade on Sushi to swap between Mask and ETH. Um, <laughs> you know, people that wanted to buy Mask or sell Mask. Um, and what was cool at the time was like uh, Sushi was doing on some rewards as well. So I think that was like 10% APR or something on on getting like extra Sushi rewards from from your hash Mask ETH liquidity. So there's already a Mask token at this point though, correct? Like launched by the team? Yeah, I, th uh, I forget what they have. Um, but yeah, the NFTX mask token is like a floor token that represents the floor price of hash mass. Okay, we skipped a couple of steps. Like we went directly down the rabbit hole where you're supplying liquidity on Sushi Swap and all this stuff. So talk about like NFTX and what it actually does for like the end user at home uh, from like a lending and borrowing standpoint. I know you mentioned that the importance of DeFi and NFTs there, but specifically for nftx like what are users doing on the on the platform now yeah so nftx doesn't do any borrowing and lending it just has like it's just basically a really low level um building block for nft DeFi. so how it works is um of like a collection with say ten thousand items maybe a thousand of those items two thousand of those items are floor floor items you could basically pull your floor items in the NFTX vaults. Let's call, let's just say the hash mask vault, for example. You could put your your floor hash mask in there, and you'll mint a a hash mask token. That's an ERC twenty token that that acts as a claim on any of the NFTs within that vault. So the idea is like all floor to all floor items are kind of treated the same, and in that way you can pull them together, and then you can create this. ERC20 token off the back of it that is then usable in other protocols on Ethereum. So like ERC721s are like hard to to um, trade and swap. You have to wait for buyers. You have to wait for sellers. Whereas when you have an ERC20, you can then, so you've got this ERC20 that represents the floor. You can then put that into Sushi as liquidity and then people have suddenly got instant liquidity for the hash mask floor so anyone can then instantly sell their hash mask into nftx um which routes through the sushi pool and and then you can instantly sell uh, or you can instantly swap like the guys did with uh board apes or cool cats um and you've also got the instant buys yeah I th there's a really cool conversation we're about to get into but f just touching on that process there someone that's on your on that plot protocol on the nftx protocol make sure you, that you understand how the swap process works because if you pull an ape put an ape in you're not necessarily getting the same ape out is that correct that's right yeah and that's something like it's really important if you're using nftx it's it's for your floor items not for um anything higher up so like the arbitrage basically what would happen is there'd be an arbitrage if you put in like a non-floor ape a gold yeah yeah that's yeah. instantly getting like probably just bought or swapped out and then it'll be swapped out and replaced with the floor item so yeah the incentive is is to put in your floor items and if you've got like a really really low floor maybe the price of the nftx vault is kind of trading higher than what you have you can then insta sell um into the nftx vault and get a better price earlier in the conversation we were talking about how that uh guy 
swapped out uh, some of these apes and he paid a fee uh, to the actual protocol. And that, you know, you mentioned that that goes somewhere. Can you explain the actual like process of how you're developing kind of revenue for either the, I think the DAO or the actual people who are staking their NFTs? How does that process work? Yeah. So let's use the toads for, because someone actually, um, the crypto's fault someone uh just minted like 400k of liquidity for that so what that person did was they they put in i think it was like 19 19 yeah i want to say 19 cryptos um into the vault and they minted the toads tokens they minted 19 toads tokens they then paired that 19 toads tokens with like 70 eth and then put that into sushi and then once you put it into sushi you get this this token back that represents your liquidity position in sushi you can then stake that liquidity token from sushi in nftx and then you'll start earning the fees of people that trade in the nftx vault so anyone that does a buy sell or swap on the cryptos vault will generate a fee and that fee will go to not just that particular liquidity provider but anyone else that's providing liquidity as well and one of the cool things that we introduced like two, three months ago um, is the idea of single-sided staking. So rather than having to provide liquidity, which could be expensive, right? Like that guy had to put up 70 ETH to pair with their 19 toads. Um, instead, we now allow people to just stake their toads um, without pairing it with ETH. And they earn like 20% of the rewards while liquidity providers earn 80% because um, they take on more risk. So we've got like those two ways of increasing the nftx fault size so there's more selection like more choice and then with more liquidity there's more depth so there's less like price impact when you uh make one of these trades yeah let's uh, there's going to be a lot of questions off of what you're kind of you know breaking down here but one of the main questions is like since origin how does that total value locked look because that's you know for those people who aren't familiar with nf or the DeFi space like total value locked tvl is like the, a primary health indicator of your your protocol. You want to continuously see that you know go up on some some stairs there, uh, like a nice little price chart. But how does that total value lock look over time since NFTX launch? Was there immediate you know use of the protocol, or was it kind of a slow grind? How has NFTX evolved since its origin? Yeah, so um, relatively slow grind. Obviously, started from zero. Uh, we actually we. The, the founder, Alex Gosman, did a pretty cool launch where um, the NFTX token was distributed in return for CryptoPunks. And NFTX actually raised like 100 CryptoPunks from, from that. So it started off with like a solid TVL. Um, and yeah, it wasn't just CryptoPunks and others as well. But yeah, the TVL like kicked off quite well. And then from there, it's grown over time. There's a June Analytics dashboard for it, but it's at an all-time high at the moment of 47 million. Um, and each month in the last 30 days there's been over a million dollars if of fees generated for uh, liquidity providers and inventory providers so um yeah this the growth has been like relatively stable you know there's a lot of layers to understand to use nftx uh, it's not the simplest um which is kind of where flawed out comes in because that's like an accelerator of everything that we're doing yeah i want to talk about florida out here I and mean, i guess we can we can have that discussion here in a moment how do you make NFTX accessible to someone who is just in NFTs. Like you kind of laid out the cryptos process of like the guy, you know, doing multi-sided liquidity and you you did say that you can do single staking now and things like this. So that makes it easy for someone to say, "Okay, I have a single NFT. There's already a pool created. I can earn on that yield." But 
like, how do you make this accessible to someone who just doesn't know shit about DeFi, right? Because they, they, those people are just like, I'm done, you know, <laughs> like, I have no idea where I am. Yeah, it's a problem that we've had. Um, I mean, we've, we've abstracted all that stuff I was talking about, like sushi pools and stuff. That's all abstracted away on the front end. So when you come to NFTX and you want to like add liquidity for the Toads uh, vault, you don't have to deal with sushi. You just, you just sign a transaction on NFTX and it will do it for you like under the hood. So we kind of abstract the way, that away. But there's still, there's still like concepts that you need to be aware of. Like if you're providing liquidity, you have to like understand the risks of doing that. Like it's not just like number go up, like you're having permanent loss to consider and stuff. So that's where like single-sided staking or like inventory staking, there's none of that risk. You, well, the only risk you have is like NFTX protocol risk. Um, otherwise, it's just like the NF, the token just earns yield. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a challenge. Uh, and I guess what we hope is like the yields start getting to the point. And I mean, they are, they can be high, like for certain vaults, they can be, they can be really high. Um, we hope that those kind of yields attract people to like do the research and kind of understand DeFi to feel comfortable to add liquidity. Um, you know, we don't want, in a way, we don't really want people just aping in liquidity because, you know, you got to like understand this, otherwise you're going to have tons of questions and yeah, it might not work out for you. So um, I think the more we can educate people, the better for sure. Um, and it's just hard to do that on the front end. It's just too much to understand, I think, in some ways. Yeah, you guys have an NFTX Academy and we could tie in Floridao here uh, to to kind of like, you know, round up that kind of, or I guess intro that conversation. But is it probably right for me to say the easiest way that someone brand new to what you guys are doing in NFTX uh the easiest way for them to get involved in this ecosystem is to maybe find a pool that they have a floor uh, NFT asset on and they submit to that pool single-sided and they start earning tokens for just staking their NFT asset. Yeah, that would be the simplest way to, to kind of familiarize yourself. And like gas is low-ish, like depending on the time, but relatively low at the moment. So it's like now's a good time to do it. Um, yeah, that's the best way to enter it. What do those yields look like and what do they get paid out on? So it varies from vault to vault, but like if I open up NFTX right now, like the top the top yield is for and to be fair, like we do this as a seven day seven day yield. And I want to expand it to thirty days so it's a bit more accurate. But like the Milady Vault, I don't know if you know like Milady Maker NFTs. Um yeah, had insane volume. Um I think that peaked at like a fourteen hundred percent APR and that was um like pure organic yield but there's no like nftx governance token distribution that's that's pumping up that apr that's that's purely from what's being traded so if you're providing liquidity you are getting like um a thousand fourteen hundred percent apr and right now if you're providing a venture you're getting a 345 percent apr which is which is insane and that will come down but you know we'd see like if i go to like the pools page on nftx you see like aprs like well in like the mid two figures right like 50 like percent and, and above um for like punk at the moment it's like relatively low it's like 10 percent um but th these are kind of variable but it's all purely organic yield and i think as nftx gets bigger and for example like we're, we're integrated with gem uh the gem the aggregator the nft marketplace aggregator that will drive more volume you know our inventory will get seen in more places uh, because this inventory is all lives on Web3, all lives on Ethereum, so it can just be plugged into any other marketplace without permission. So the more places our inventory goes in, the more volume, the more yield for LPs. Um, so yeah, we can expect, I'm, I'm hoping anyway, the, the, the expectation, the hope is that 
um, we'll see yields just increase over time. Okay, and those yields come from the volume traded uh, on the platform, correct? Like for the most part? Yeah, it's purely volume traded on the platform. And, and it's not actually like, it's not like the front end, it's actually the volume traded in the contracts and anyone can plug into the contracts like Gem, for example, or Genie. Gotcha. How does FloorDAO work into this? Because again, we had those like, that mix up early in the episode, like you honestly thought you were coming on here today to, to break down Florida. Uh, but I, you're doing a great job breaking down NFTX as well. So how does Florida play into what you're doing? Because it's such a big part of what you're doing on the day to day. Yeah. So um, Florida was started by NFTX cool team as well. So there's a huge like overlap and like tight tightness between these two DAOs. Um, but Florida is like, well, so the way it works is it, it it uses the bonding mechanism of Olympus, which if you're familiar with Olympus, you'll know how that works, um, and the market making of NFTX to build a treasury. And then that yield is then kind of like by proxy kind of uh, goes back to like the floor stakers, the floor token stakers. Um, and yeah, uh, FloorDAO really is a way of creating deep liquidity for these nftx pools so one of the problems that we have with like the vaults on nftx is like you can't have a, cl a collection or a vault won't work if it's only got like 10 items in it because the price impact of buying an item and this is like how the the sushi uh amm works which is what, what happens under the hood but like the way that works is like if you only have 10 items and you buy one the price impact will just be huge so you might find that like a crypto punk if there's only 10 crypto punks in the vault buy price might be like 200 ETH, which is just like not a non-starter. Um, so you could, you could still like speculate. So you could still buy like a fraction of a CryptoPunk and you get like a roughly close to spot price. But if you want to buy a whole CryptoPunk, you're going to get big price pack impact. So FloorDAO like solves that in that we build deep liquidity for these. So for example, with, with uh, CryptoPunks, FloorDAO has now 20 CryptoPunks um, with all 20 provide, uh, back, um, paired with ETH to pro provide deeper liquidity for the CryptoPunk pool. Um, and we're going to do that to other collections. So we've done it for Wizards as well. We've got like 700k of Wizard liquidity. Um, and we're now like floor hold token holders. We'll get to vote on which NFT collections we add next as well so that we can essentially like coordinate liquidity for these vaults. And we think like people will see the value of, of instant liquidity for, for NFT collections, like the floor of NFT collections. And once people see that value, then you know people will want to use floor to direct liquidity to different collections. Like, um, yeah, it gives, it gives holders the ability to instantly sell and instantly swap. It gives holders the ability to like use DeFi more effectively because there's deeper liquidity, more reliable price oracles and all this good stuff. Um, and it also gives, uh, like in the case of CryptoPunks, it gives people access to like fractions of a CryptoPunk. So they don't have to buy a whole one to be exposed to that market. Um, and there's other schemes like you could do buybacks uh, as, as a uh, creator. You could start buying back the token, the floor token, with like the treasury that you've built from the initial sale or whatever it might be, so that they can start supporting the price of the floor. Um, and actually like, you know, putting their money where their mouth is and buying just fractions over time. Um, and it's cool stuff like that. There, there's so many, like you mentioned like four or five different uh, reasons why this process is really cool because it, uh, like Price Oracles is is one example. Being able to have creators come in and buy the, their own floor tokens is like a really cool flywheel effect there uh, if they can create an economy there. How does a project like Ape 
where, you know, before Ape Token launched, you guys probably had some type of like derivative token or I don't I don't know the exact terminology, but what happens when the NFT project itself launches a token? Because in the absence of that, you guys can really have that that token, right, be almost seen as getting exposure to Ape. You know, like that's one thing you mentioned as well. It's like you could, as a buyer, go in and probably buy a CryptoPunks token. And that Punks doesn't have a token. So that almost acts like a stock of that of that uh, NFT in a way if it was like ma- mainly adopted. So how does the ApeCoin factor in and if that happens to more and more projects? It does. Um, you know, if there's more utility with the NFT, like 71 NFT, then yeah, people might want to take them out of the vaults. But I think what we hopefully see is that there's just so much there's so much to pay attention to, right? Like I've got I got more like I'm in, involved in more NFT collections than I could count and I can't possibly like spend time knowing like how to maximize my yield on every single one. You know, I miss like mounts on on wizards, right? Like that would have been cool to have. But I, there's so many things I've just missed. And instead, like by just sitting my flaws in NFTX and providing liquidity, I can just earn yield on all the stuff that other people want to do. And yeah, I won't optimize my yield because I won't do all these like really niche things. But instead, I'll just have like a simple way of of accessing the yield to some extent by by just letting people trade my and like swap out my items. Um, so it does definitely in a way like pulls NFTs out of NFTX, but at the same time, it also generates yield um, and makes and makes like LPs like liquidity providers happier as well. Okay. So we, uh, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but we probably have like 10 minutes, 15 minutes left in the episode. I know you had a hard stop. So if we have to cut it short, you let me know. Uh, but we're going to get into some Florida questions. I want to open it up to the chat as well. If you guys have any questions for the NFTX team, uh, definitely drop them or Florida team, uh, drop them there in the chat. Also, you know, for the editor, this is not for the audio portion afterwards, but this is uh, for people here. Go ahead and drop OVOT in the chat. It will get you entered into a giveaway that we have going on right now for some Opal Jets from Star Atlas. Uh, We will run that giveaway here live and pick a winner at the end of the episode. But uh, yeah, let's let's hop back into it, Caps. Tell me a little bit more about how Floridao kind of acts as a, I wouldn't say you're not manipulating, but you're, you're coordinating was the term that you used on in stabilizing kind of liquidity there. Is that is that the primary function of Florida? Yeah, yeah. Um, floor token holders coordinate liquidity to um, build deep liquidity in collections that kind of does that that are like stable and um, that have the benefits. So we have like a, a, a framework for like which collections the DAO will like choose to to buy up and um, and provide liquidity for, and it involves like like largely it's like what's the yield potential and what's the the capital growth potential um and like risk so if it if if the collection like passes through that then then floor token holders can vote on on which ones to in which ones to actually like build liquidity for and then by doing that we have all the benefits uh of that liquidity how does floor dow and and nftx dow work together if at all so yeah floor dow just is built on top of nftx so it relies on nftx protocol to it's like to generate yield so NFTX is like Flordow's yield yield strategy, and right now there really isn't any other like generalized yield strategy. So technically, like Flordow could could apply 
could apply any of your strategy, but this like NFTX is by far the best right now. Um, so that's like the tight alignment there. And then in terms of like how we how we launched, rather than taking on any VCs or investors, we didn't do a seed round or anything. It was purely just like self-started. Um, we instead did a loan from NFTX DAO. So NFTX DAO provided a 500 ETH loan to FloorDAO, which bootstrapped the liquidity in a copper launch. And then that that um, 500 ETH loan was just paid back straight after the copper launch. So um, we ended up with uh, NFTX DAO getting a percent, like a 2% allocation of total supply um, for that loan. Was that a governance uh, vote? Yeah, in NFTX it was, yeah. Um, so that that went through governance. It went all, all on chain governance stuff. Um, and it just like, it's great because typically you'd have investors or VCs that, you know, a lot of them don't sell, but there is like a lot of future sell pressure there. But with NFTX, like their floor holding is too valuable to ever sell um, because they will always want to have a say in what FloorDAO does with their inventory. So we've kind of like done this raise through debt with a, a DAO that's so tightly aligned that they basically have diamond hands for this and, and won't ever sell. So it was really cool to launch in this way. Um, and I think we're going to see more like sub DAOs launching like this um, without the need for uh, uh, like potentially mercenary investors. I haven't looked into the NFTX token price, nor do I like really hone in on that during these episodes. But it sounds like you guys have a lot of cool things happening in the ecosystem. Uh, what are some utility pieces for the NFTX token other than the governance pieces that you just talked about? Uh, and why should not investment advice? Why should I be buying this token? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I guess with NFTX, we we kind of at the moment take like the uni the Uniswap approach, which is like not very exciting at all. Like ultimately, it has on chain governance, so you you literally can vote on what to do with the treasury and what to do with the protocol contracts. But um, there is no staking. There's no like rewards for holding NFTX. Um, it is like it is just a governance token. So uh, that said, like we're building this TVL, the NFTX treasury is like quite valuable. I can't remember how much, but it is significant sum, like 20 million maybe. Um, and you know, there's there's with a governance token, there's any kind of potential. Like you could vote to do something that maybe finds a way to 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 capture more valuable more value into the NFTX token. So. That's kind of where it's at. Yeah, another common practice in DeFi is incentivizing yield by using that governance token. So you mentioned it's NFTX is used as a voting token, also that it's you know used to incentivize yields. That seems like a lot of sell pressure and not much buy pressure when you're talking about utility, right? Like if you're incentivizing yields with NFTX token, where does the buy pressure come from? Yeah, so the the that that kind of like incentive there is on floor DAO. That's the floor token that that coordinates liquidity and and lets people vote on where liquidity should go. Whereas with NFTX, there isn't that kind of voting. There is just governance on like standard governance stuff. Um, the I I think the holders of NFTX are very much like long term. This is you know strong handed long term investors more so than like anyone expecting a yield um so it yeah there is i think there's not like a huge amount of buy pressure although i think the DeFi nft narrative might change that um but i think the sell pressure is also like kind of vanished because we, we've had our we kind of bombed out like every it got dumped pretty hard um you know i i, I don't know 
who would be left uh, at this point? Like, who's left to sell? Being attached to that DeFi NFT piece that you just mentioned is going to be a boon for you guys going forward. But yeah, DeFi has taken a hit uh, here over the last year for sure. Uh, you mentioned coordination with FloorDAO and getting some of these pools set up because stability is super important. You also talked on earlier in the episode about Ape and how all of this stuff is kind of the wild, wild west in a way where someone could do anything. You know, I could go on right now while we're live, set up a pool. If someone wants to enter, they can like, you know, it's, it, it, it is completely open. It's a protocol. What are some things that have happened that aren't coordinated by you guys that maybe you, you look at and you're like, damn, that was smart or that was kind of a crazy event because that happens in DeFi, right? Like there's all these flash loans and all these kind of crazy moments. Has there been a moment on NFTX other than that ape and cool cat example that we had early in the episode? Yeah, I mean, one thing that does come to mind is, um, I don't know if you know, or you will know of loot, um, but a derivative of loot was Genesis Manor. Um, and this, like, this was cool because it kind of signals to me, I think what we'll probably see happening moving forward where Genesis Manor is like, so each loot bag uh, with Genesis Mana, you could like extract uh, mana tokens from each loot bag, and the idea would was that you had to like swap your mana token, your mana NFTs to get like a set, and with a set you could um, you could resurrect a what was called a Genesis Adventurer, and so there was tons of trading activity to try and build these sets and resurrect these adventurers. Um, and we saw just insane volumes on NFTX because there's nowhere else could you just like do such simple swapping between items. So what was cool is like with the with the manifold, like all of them, most of them are treated as floor tokens. So there, loads of them were in NFTX. I think we had like 500 at the top. Um, and people were just able to build their sets really quickly and coordinate their sets really quickly. And what was crazy was like the yields for LPs was at the time, I think for like a 10 day period, I think it was like three or 4% a day in yield um, that was being earned. So there was just like crazy activity and like, I think a hint as to what NFTX might be able to provide in the future where we'll probably see more and more like card trading games or just trading games in general, or like game item swapping, anything like that having this like pool of assets where you've got tons of different people that all have different needs and demands they can just instantly swap to get what they want um yeah just i think it's going to be a big big driver for uh for um yields and, and that those yields then the big like the, the flywheel for nftx is like those yields then drive more liquidity because people see the yields going up so they, they put in their liquidity which gives better liquidity for people that want to trade and that drives more volume, more yield, more yield, and then so on. Yeah, are you guys actively looking to find? I don't know if "partner" is probably the right word for a protocol, but are you guys actively looking to find like other examples to recreate what happened with loot, or do, is this all kind of inbound and you just grow your product and see who joins? Yeah, so that was inbound, and we do have like we do have uh, Toes who's on BD and does an awesome job with partnerships, um, and I think generally like we we need we. we benefit from partnerships but you know what scales what scales best is just by like showing people like this is this is what our protocol unlocks like you should just use it rather than we don't like we shouldn't have to convince everyone to use it people should just know that like oh shit a liquid floor is 
is like a major game changer for this collection so we should probably like think about you know in our strategy think about it um and like i know doodles had like a proposal towards the start of their launch like i, th- I can't remember how much they were going to seed like 100 ETH into nftx and unfortunately that never went through um and maybe maybe that would have been where like someone really pushing and saying hey guys these are all the benefits would work um because i i think doodles would have would have had an awesome time um getting a liquid vault up uh and just the benefits that come with it so hopefully you know that's where flawed out comes in as well and, and we're going to start showing what what a deep liquid uh deeply liquid pool can do for a collection and then it kind of word of mouth goes around yeah, great, great answer there. Uh, appreciate that breakdown. I've got a lot of good comments here. Guys, if you have any questions uh, for Caps here, uh, we have about five minutes left in the episode, so definitely uh, lay them out here. I'm going to roll the wheel of names that we had the giveaway on. Uh, I think, oh, Prodigy added the Nifty Q Show logo. Look at that. Uh, I'm going to pick a winner real quick, Caps, and then I'm going to have you kind of drop uh, any other information as it's related to NFTX or Florida platforms. So congratulations to XWOW on winning uh, the giveaway here on the Nifty Q show. But yeah, Caps, drop any other info uh, you have on, on NFTX or, or what you guys are doing with Floridao. I think we covered so much. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, if anyone's interested, the Floridao, like the, the kind of longer term vision for Floridao is to move towards a VE model. Like, I don't know if, if anyone's familiar with Curve Finance um, and how they use their, their vote locking to, to vote for where liquidity should go. Like we're looking at the VE floor as a future thing, but that's that's a long way off. We're we're early stages on that, so yeah, come join the Discord, um, discord.gg/invite/floordow, um, and hit us up on Twitter as well. Um, yeah, we've got an awesome community, small but growing, um, and yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely uh, kind of tell, right, that you guys are going to have a pretty uh, strong community that's going to have some some interesting people in it and and some smart people as well uh, that are pushing the protocol forward and, and getting committed to the DAO. I had a question from Asmodai here, and this was something I wanted to touch on earlier when you were mentioning single-sided staking, double-sided staking. Uh, Asmodai saying, do these liquidity pools suffer impermanent loss? And, you know, from the double-sided, it makes sense. Like if you're on Uniswap, most people understand that but how does that work with an nft that in permanent loss piece yeah so yeah you're exposed to the same impermanent loss that you might have for anything else um and yeah the way it works is yeah you fractionalize your nft into an erc20 and then you just pair it with eth and, and add it as liquidity and you have the same it's like the same experience nftx front end hides hides all the sushi liquidity adding stuff so you don't have to worry about doing it but that's what's happening under the hood so with liquidity providing you have impermanent loss with inventory providing you don't have any impermanent loss um what's cool though is like you are pairing nfts with eth and they are somewhat correlated so if you're familiar with impermanent loss like the divergence of those two assets might not be as big as you know if you're pairing it with with dot with usd or, or anything else yeah caps you did a good job explaining the protocol and like a layman's term, but also kind of getting in deep. If my my last question is probably someone that's listening to this right now, either on audio uh, afterwards here on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, or here that's live on YouTube. How do they experiment with the protocol without getting absolutely wrecked? Like, what's the best way, one or two ways to kind of interact with what you guys have going on without just like losing any of their NFTs or you know, getting massive and permanent loss or things like this. Yeah, I mean, the, the the only way would be, yeah, first of all, understanding that any NFT you put into the vault, into NFTX, cannot be recovered, 
potentially cannot be recovered. And instead, you'll just get a token that gives you a claim on any of the NFTs in the pool. Um, but there are fees as well. So just to be aware of like the fees. Uh, but to, to, to experiment, yeah, inventory staking. If, if you... If you single side stake with just inventory, then you skip the fees as well. So there's no fee on the entry. Um, so that'd probably be the best place to start and then to join the NFTX Discord and check out um, and ask questions. Like we, we've got some great guys on support as well who are just really quick to, to respond to anyone that, that has a question. So hit us up there. Dope, man. So uh, I got one last comment here. Dismal Jellyfish is saying NFTX unlocks additional utility for projects. My favorite project has a roulette vault that allows users to pay the vault token for a chance to win a rare NFT from the project. That's a pretty cool utility piece. Do you know what project he's talking about? Yeah, I do. Yeah, HD Punks. Hey, Dismal. Um, yeah, HD Punks allow you to, like, well, they've got a few different vaults at NFTX, but one of them is is locked. So, so one of the things you can do with NFTX as well as like random buys. It's not just like choosing which you buy. Um, you can actually, for, it's a bit cheaper to just randomly buy something from the vault than it is to, to select an item. Um, and some some vaults can turn off all the targeted buying and, and lock it purely to random buy, um, which is, you know, a little bit more fun. Um, changes the use case a little bit, which is cool. Cap's last question I've got, man. When do you think we'll see like a full... DeFi integration in NFTs, like, and I know you said you're a ten-year timeline guy. Do we see like more, like a billion uh, TVL in NFTX here in like the next year, or like when do we see that like full merge, or people are familiar and you know it's it's getting more adopted? Yeah, I mean, this year I'm hoping, you know, with Flordow like leading this, I just can can have like a big push on awareness. Like, I'm hoping we have like a DeFi NFT spring and summer that'd be dope and yeah yields <laughs> yields pick up and, and like super bullish for me is like aggregator wars right like the more the more ag people use aggregators over like OpenSea, the more they'll be exposed to DeFi inventory like nftx's inventory so that will drive yields and like yeah that that could you know depends how quickly that kind of stuff takes off um but yeah. Awesome, man. All right. We had Caps here, product lead from NFTX. He's also the co-founder of FloorDAO. Uh, we broke down pretty much everything DeFi NFTs, man. You did a great job uh, breaking down the liquidity protocol, what you guys are doing in the future. So Caps, I appreciate you stopping by the Nifty Q show today. And everyone at home, uh, thank you so much for tuning in and, and participating in chat or listening on the audio portion afterwards. Uh, we will see you guys this week or, or next week. We'll, we'll just break down the NFT space and continue uh, kind of growing here. So appreciate everybody. Caps, thank you again, man. Thanks for having me on, man. Cheers.